Lions fans. This is the podcast you've been waiting for. The show where the Kool-Aid runs blue. Faces turn red. And rose-colored glasses never go out of style. This is the Detroit Lions podcast. Your Detroit Lions and Reddit connection. And now, two guys who always podcast hands-free. Chris and the Riz. Hey, hi-de-ho, Lions fans. Welcome to the Detroit Lions podcast. This is episode 505, an interview with Scott Mitchell. This is the official Detroit Lions podcast for Reddit. I am your dashing host, Chris, and today I'll be sitting down with Scott Mitchell, former quarterback of the Detroit Lions, played with Barry Sanders, uh, was in the Bye Bye Barry documentary that came forward and uh, is a great Great documentary. You definitely want to see it. But he had a response to that on social media that became a little bit viral, a little bit infamous, got written up in a number of the local media outlets. So we decided to talk to Scott and get his perspective. I think you're going to find somebody who's a little bit introspective, thoughtful, and is not afraid to call things as he saw them from the time he played with the Lions. It's an interesting uh, interview. I think you're going to come back with a little bit different perspective than most have shared, listening to his words and what he thinks about this we have scott mitchell with us former detroit lions quarterback um took us to the playoffs set records the whole thing going for the lions scott so great to have you on the show man thanks for joining us not a problem at all always happy to talk to you oh that's awesome hey i want to start out you know the the lore of the 90s of course barry was the big name that everyone thinks about but a lot of the younger folks today don't know much about the team and the players back then and here you are as a quarterback took us to the playoffs had a lot of record-setting years it's over 400 yards on thanksgiving i'm not that one may still stand actually i know you had before matthew stafford here and stole them all came and stole all the records from you you were the big <laughs> record holder for the lions <laughs> he was a great player yeah, yeah yeah he certainly was um i just want to give 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 folks a, an idea of what your road to uh, to the NFL was and in your early years in the NFL because there's some some wild names you played with and I think that that whole growth pattern yeah. has been pretty interesting. So, talk about growing up. What got you into football to start things off? You know, I, I had a very interesting journey, and uh, I was I think in the third fourth grade. Um, my dad had done some promotional work for Gifford Nielsen, who was uh, an All American quarterback at BYU and played for the Houston Oilers and. Came home one day and just said, hey, how would you like to go to a professional football game? We lived in, in Utah in a small town. So I got in an airplane for the first time in the third grade, flew to Houston, Texas, and went to the Houston Oilers Saturday morning walkthrough practice. Wow. And I, I, I got to go in the locker room. I met Earl Campbell, uh, Dan Pastor, you know, all the players. Bum Phillips yeah. was the coach. Yeah. They happened to be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it was uh, December 3rd, 1978. It's just been etched in my brain. And so I go to this football game in the Astrodome, which was the eighth wonder of the world at the time. Yep. Incredible experience. I get a game ball, NFL game ball. I still have it to this day. From the 1978 uh, Pittsburgh Steelers-Houston Oilers football game, and if you can't fall in love with football in that moment, there's something really wrong with you. And I did. And I kept that football. I still have it today. Uh, and and I just I just loved the Houston Oilers. I hated the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I became a fan of the football. But after that, I had the opportunity to go with Gifford 
in the summers to these football camps that he was a part of. And so I, I was his roommate. So I was the roommate of a professional quarterback in, in these camps. And uh, there were, uh, I mean, uh, Jack Youngblood was at this camp, a bunch of NFL guys. And so I got this indoctrination every summer uh, until I graduated from high school, I would go to these camps and they were incredible. We had all these pros that would show up. And so I got, I got indoctrinated to football and really good football from a very young age. Then I, I went to the University of Utah, had a record set, setting career. Our offense we ran was what, uh, Eric Coriel, it was the same offense they ran with the, with the San Diego Chargers, you know, so very prolific passing attack. And then I was drafted by the Miami Dolphins. And, and it was quite a disappointing day for me because I thought I was going to get drafted higher than the fourth round. And there were eight other quarterbacks, I believe, that were drafted before me. One was Andre Ware, right. who actually went to the Lions at that time. And he was the Heisman Trophy winner. And, and in the beginning, it looked like it was a bad thing for me. But to sit uh, in, a, in a, a meeting room every single day with Don Shula on my left and Dan Marino on my right, and I was in every meeting, every practice, every game, it was, it was, uh, it was like being taught from the gods. I mean, really, it was an incredible experience and uh, one that I cherish and value, you know, to this day. And, and, and even in the moment, you know, it wasn't lost on me then. Um, how how great this experience was because they were so good and Dan was so amazing and I but I didn't want to sit there and be a clipboard guy you know my goal and my dream my entire life was to be a starting quarterback in the NFL and in fact I said it when I was drafted and people laughed at me they go you know the guy in, ahead of you is like like there's nobody better than him and I said I don't care. I go, my dream and my goal was to, to be a, you know, to, to be a starting quarterback in the National Football League. And, uh, and so I did everything I possibly could do. And in 1992, which was my second year in the NFL, I begged the Miami Dolphins to let me go play in what was called the World League. And they had teams, they had eight, uh, seven teams in the United States. They had three teams over in Europe. And I went to the team in Florida, in Orlando, and it was the best thing I ever did. It was, it was so good because I, I got a chance to really play after learning. You know, it's just like, well, if I could go back, you know, if I could go back in time, knowing what I know now, imagine the player I would be. And that was the experience I had. And it was invaluable. And I came back just a totally different player. And then uh, the fourth game into the next season, Dan Marino was injured. And I go in and basically play for the first time any significant minutes in the NFL my first pass was intercepted for a touchdown, returned 97 yards. But I, I bounced back from that and ended up being the uh, AFC Offensive Player of the Week in the first game I played in the NFL. And then I was the AFC Offensive Player of the Month for the first month I played in the NFL. And I was like, man, this is awesome. This is, this is really <laughs> fun. And I became a, a free agent. And it's when free agency first started. And it was, it was quite the experience, you know, because no, it had been unheard of. You know, players weren't allowed to go out and, and uh, test the market. Uh, it, you, you know, if a team drafted you, they owned you no matter if you were under contract or not. So having the opportunity to go out and do that was, was incredible. And there were 
Yeah, there were really just two teams that I think would have made sense for me. And one was Detroit and the other one was Minnesota. They happened to be in the same division. And, and I liked both places. And I just, I just felt there was more in Detroit. And quite frankly, I felt there was a bigger commitment to me in Detroit than in Minnesota. So I went to Detroit and the first year, you know, we were, I mean, I can remember the first play we pl- uh, that I played in Detroit <clears throat> and there were, it was, uh, I, I, it might've been a running play or something or, but they were coming after us. So I called a, I called an audible at the line of scrimmage, hit Herman Moore for a 17 yard pass. We came back late and won that game and really felt like we were uh, a pretty special team. I know, I know we were, uh, we won, <clears throat> excuse me. We won, uh, we beat the Dallas Cowboys on Monday night football in Dallas. Uh, you know, we, we felt like we were kind of off and running and, and I got injured and there's some controversy that came up about when I got injured, Lomas Brown uh, yeah, claimed yeah. to have not blocked his guy, which was a lie. Uh, and I, and, and I, I talked to Lomas about this after the fact, and, and it was disappointing. I'm not going to lie to you. When you have a former teammate that just basically wants you out of the game, and he's like, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to not do my job to, to uh, purposely injure you. I mean, my agent was furious and he wanted to, he wanted to sue Lomas. And I mean, it was, it was an ugly thing, and um, and and I I didn't want it to be that way. I mean, I'm not going to sue one of my former teammates, but I was extremely disappointed uh, by that and hearing that. And uh, you know, when I when I went to Detroit initially, uh, you know, I'm sure there were some people that were jealous, and and because uh, I was the first person to really, um, you know. Uh, have an opportunity to capitalize on free agency. And a lot of people like, I, I know a lot of people, my, my teammates in Detroit, the fans in Detroit, they didn't know who I was. And I, I will tell you that it took a lot of work, a lot of effort and energy to make it, you know, to Detroit. Uh, I you remember, know, it wasn't just by some accident, you know, it was, it was a lot of years. And you, and, but you, uh, you lit it up so, in Miami when, when Dan Marino got injured. Yeah. You lit it up. And I remember when we, when the, the story, when we picked up Scott Mitchell, when the Lions picked up Scott Mitchell at that point, it was like, this guy's a, a rising star. He's a rising young talent that's finally getting an opportunity. I mean, and from, from the outside looking in, you know, like you said, it's such a blessing to, to be able to play behind a great, like Dan Marino. But at the same time, right. He's so great. How do you ever get, time on the field so you did the world league but what's the i mean talk about your, your the kind of the impact of that that season in the nfl when dan got hurt i believe it was an acl um that year when he, uh, achilles achilles oh, he blew his achilles sorry yeah. yep. i knew it started with an a <laughs> but so, so <laughs> here, here's your chance right um here's your chance in the nfl and you come up and you, and you, you did you lit it up pretty well that season and, and kind of turned yourself into a, a real kind of hot commodity in the NFL as far as his quarterbacks went? Well, if you look at a lot of players today and they get thrown in before they really understand the game and, uh, you know, to watch uh, the system that we ran to to really gain experience. And for me, when I first got in the NFL, it was so fast. I just go, I'll never be able to do this. And seeing how Dan Marino and the anticipation of how he threw the ball, and this was just in practice, I'm, I was like, I will never do that. And, and then over time, when you 
you know, you, you steal as many reps as you possibly can. You watch every possible moment. For me, my first three years in the NFL, the, the, the preseason was like the Super Bowl for me. I mean, every, because I got to play and I got a lot of reps. And so it was extremely valuable to me and not lost on me. I mean, I mean, you have to, you have to just respect every, every rep, every opportunity you have. But the thing that I've, that I've learned through the years and, and my experience, you know, with all, all of it and, and being in Miami, Detroit was you need to be in a system that really um, caters to your strengths. And, and I, and that's what, it, I mean, the system in Miami was built around a quarterback succeeding. I mean, it just, it just was, I mean, it, yeah, it, and yeah. so uh, I, I loved, you know, being in that type of system. Now, when I went to Detroit and, and I'll say this about any, you know, I wouldn't, looking back, want to go play for a defensive-minded coach. Right. If right. I was going to go back, I, I would want to go to someone who was offensive-minded, an Andy Reid or uh, a Sean Payton or Doug Peter Doug Peterson, by the way, who's was was the was our our practice squad quarterback when I played in my. We were workout partners for three years, <laughs> and but he got you know he got schooled in Miami and he went to. Green Bay, and he was with Mike Holmgren, and then he was with Andy Reid, and so you know, so and you see how different Trevor Lawrence is today compared to like a Zach Wilson, right? So the system you're in is so valuable, and and when I came to Detroit initially, I can't say that it was really that way. Um, it, it when we really had success in Detroit was when we sat down. Tom Moore was the offensive coordinator. And we kind of came up with an offense that made sense and fit the personnel we had. Barry was a unique talent. Barry Sanders, his style of running was was unique. Uh, the way people defended Barry was unique. I would watch game film, and I go, "Why am I watching this game film of the of the opponent? Because they're not going to play us that way. If they play us this way, Barry Sanders will rush for four hundred yards." And, and no one ever did, right? right? They played us uniquely. And so we had to, we had to play differently. And when we were willing to do that, it was, it was 1995 and really 1996 until um, I, I got injured. And, and people don't know, I was injured most of that season. I had to go to the hospital to get a shot just to practice. They would stick a four-inch needle in my rib cage for about 12 minutes just so I could pry. And I had this brutally painful injury that uh, throwers actually get. Baseball, a lot of baseball pitchers actually end up with this injury. And for, uh, just for a, through a freak accident, uh, I was just warming up in practice one day. I got this just painful, brutal uh, injury. So it it was frustrating because... At the end of that 1996 year, that's when Wayne Fonts was fired and Tom Moore left and he went to Indianapolis. And then he implemented the system we had with Peyton Manning. And so to watch Peyton Manning with our offense was, was kind of painful because I know that had we stayed with an offense that fit the personnel that we had in Detroit, we could have done some really lasting, memorable, magical things. We had incredible talent. Brett Perriman, Herman Moore, Johnny Morton, Barry Sanders in the backfield. We had Dave Sloan, who ended up being a, an all-pro tight end. 
and we structured the offense around how Barry was as a player. And so it really worked because of all of those components, you know, having, having all those players and it was magical. It was, it was fun. And so then when Bobby Ross came in, his philosophy was not uh, built around the way we were as a team and, and he changed things. And, and it, it was, it was extremely frustrating uh, to see, but it was, uh, uh, and, and we still had good success. We made the playoffs his first year there. Uh, Barry rushed for 2000 yards. It was, that was an incredible season. The run we had to get into the playoffs and um, that what, what he did as a player, you know, was pretty good, but uh, I'm just telling you, it could have been a lot more had we had an offense that really uh, accentuated everyone. Uh, there were wide receivers, me, uh, everyone, it would have, it would have, I think, well, I know it would have been more. Yeah. Let me ask you about that. Uh, coach Fonts, uh, what was he like? Everyone kind of considers him a player's coach. Uh, we've talked to him in the past and he, 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 he seemed to truly and genuinely love all the players that, uh, that have played for him. I spoke to him earlier this week, just one-on-one and uh, we asked him a little bit about you and he just spoke really highly of you and what you did for the team. Yeah. And um, I'm interested what, from, a, from a player's perspective, what was it like to play for a guy like Coach Fonts? Well, you could be lulled into believing that he was easygoing and he wasn't. You know, he was like, what he did is he said, you know, the first day I was there, he said, look, uh, this guy, Barry Sanders, he can run the ball, hand it to him. And, and that guy over there, Herman Moore, he can catch the ball, throw it to him. You know, and that's kind of all I have for you. You know, so he wasn't, and and he was kind of like that. He didn't say a lot ever. There were there were uh, nights before the the game when we would have a meeting, and a lot of nights that meeting got canceled. He shows I, I don't I don't have anything for you. Go go out and play. Uh, what what am I going to tell you that's going to? And so he left you alone, and he put you in a a place where you could you could do your job. And, and some guys took that as, well, I, I, I can get away with murder here. And as soon as you started, you know, getting away with murder, he, you were gone. That, that was players. That was coaches. That was, you know, he wasn't afraid to uh, make changes. In fact, in 1995, we started that season 0-3. And he brought a bunch of players into his office and he said, um, what's going on? You know, we're much better than this. What's happening? And the consensus was you brought this quarterback here, me, let him throw the football. And that's when we, we literally changed our offense during a bye week in the middle of, or after three games in that 1995 season. And, and that was the, really the genesis of us really taking off uh, offensively. And, um, and to his credit, you know, he allowed that to happen. You know, I, I'm telling you, Bobby Ross was not going to do that. And uh, Wayne Fonts recognized the players he had, and, and he was willing to make moves, make adjustments, make changes uh, if he needed to. And a lot of people, you know, um, criticized me uh, about this Halloween costume I wore, and supposedly I was making fun of my coach and all that stuff. And if you've ever been in an NFL locker room, Everyone makes fun of everyone. Like it, it that like what people saw publicly was a normal uh, occurrence. You know, it wasn't meant to be malicious. It was all in good fun. They have they have 
uh, rookie shows and players make fun of their coach. It's it's a it's an understood thing. And, and in a locker room when there's no media and there's nobody there, you're giving each other a hard time on a daily, if not hourly basis. And it, in some ways, it's a coping mechanism with the pressure. You know, if you can't be lighthearted, if you can't kind of have fun, you know, it's, it's a hard, a hard profession. <laughs> like you'll burn out. You'll you'll like go to the nut house if you're just intense all all the time. And so, let me can I ask uh, you a again, quick question? Some, you know, you you alluded yeah, to this a little bit. You alluded to something earlier that I it's it's kind of struck me, and I've thought about it a lot. And it's kind of the idea of that that goldfish memory. Um, you, you said your first pass in the NFL was intercepted as a pick six. Yeah. Players, you know, no matter who you are. You have to be able to bounce back from something like that. Um, first off, wh- when do you learn to be able to do that? Because some of the some of the things that have I've seen happen to players could break like a normal person, <laughs> make them walk away from yeah. the game. And then once yeah. you, you learn how to do that, what are the ones that really stick with you? What are the ones that are the hardest to shake over after, when you see them happen? Oh, great question. Really an amazing question because um, you you start with – you have a vision, right? And 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 so your whole vision is about about winning Super Bowls. Like that's all I cared about. Like how can we figure this out? How can we win a Super Bowl? Uh, it was ingrained in me from the day I got to the Miami Dolphins till the day I left. Uh, I felt that same exact way in Detroit, in Baltimore, and Cincinnati. Every team I played for, for me, that was that was it. You know, how do we win a Super Bowl? So when you and you know like. I'm playing against great players. Like, like these guys aren't chopped liver that we're playing against. You know, it's not like we're just going to run over people. So sometimes they win. And, and you don't want to be in a position where um, you get beat twice on a play or a game or a season or whatever. And so all, all, of, the, all of the information that you, you know, the plays that you have every single play, all, all of those plays uh, are just, they're data. They're things to look at and go, okay, whether you succeed or fail at it, it doesn't matter. And it's like, what can I learn from this? How can I get better from this experience? So there's the analytical side of it, How because you're constantly doing that every day. I mean, you're filmed every practice, every play, and it's scrutinized. You go in meetings and sit and watch yourself practice. Like, who does that in a profession? <laughs> And, and so you're constantly, how can I get better? How, wh- where was that wrong? What was, you know, what was happening in that situation? Um, one play that's weird that is not related to me, but pops in my mind is Malcolm Butler's intercepting a pass against the Seahawks. And he was put in a practice situation and failed. Like he didn't get it right, but then he recognized it in a game and made an adjustment and was a better player. So that, that's, that constantly is going on. So you, you can't sit here and just, you know, feel sorry for yourself. And you, you have to just say, how can I learn from that? And how can I be better? Now, as a human being, we all want to be loved. You know, we all want to do things the right way. And so really um, accepting failure as part of the process to success was really a thing for me. And quite frankly, that's the, if, if I could say one thing on this call today, that's what was so frustrating about my time in Detroit. Look, I sucked in the playoffs. We we did not do well in the playoffs, and I was like, I was like, I just want a chance to to fix what happened wrong, and and that was the frustrating part is that we didn't get that opportunity because I really believe 
that we could because it's just how you're wired. And then the other part of it is anyone who plays professional football is brutally competitive. Yeah. Like you, you, and you just believe that. Just give me a little bit more time, and I'll, I'll uh, you know, one more play, one more series, one more game, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll win, you know. And and it's just you just constantly have this belief in yourself that uh, you'll get you you know you'll win you'll get and that's the competitive part of what drives you to get there what keeps you there what helps you to have success and i'm telling you it was it, it was such a frustration for me when i left cuz i had to live with that and it wasn't a pleasant thing to live with that we didn't get it done in detroit and 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 i didn't get it done in detroit and it and it ate me up for a long time because of because of one, I felt like I was part of the solution, and two, that competitive side of it, you want a chance to redeem yourself, you want a chance to be better, and we just didn't get it, and and so that's that's always been a, a really hard thing, and it was it was hard for me there, you know, I got booed when I was introduced for five years, you know, I took a lot of heat, and it, and and I still wanted to be there, I didn't want to retire, I didn't want to quit, I didn't want to go anywhere else. I wanted to be with the Lions and see through these challenging times and win. Uh, I wanted it as much as any single fan there, anyone in that organization. That was what I was there for, and that's what I wanted to see through to the end. And it just didn't happen. So, and it's, but it's a hard thing to deal with. I'm, I'm extremely uh, proud of what we did in Detroit. We did a lot of great things, and I have great memories and. I did. I played with some amazing players in my time there and, um, you know, just wish that we would have had more time uh, and that the organization would have had more patience with what we had and what we potentially could have done. Yeah, that's that's one of the things it's it's whoever can get it done in Detroit will live in the city's history forever because it's been a long time for a very, very hungry group of people. Let me ask you about Chuck Schmidt and the leadership at the time. I mean, do you, do you, do you fault them at all for not giving you all the time or was it external factors? How do you, how do you think they did uh, in the front office to, to enable you guys to be as successful as you could be? I think if you look to the Pittsburgh Steelers, like we, well, first of all, we got a lot of talent in Detroit. Uh, that they did a great job. And um, I mean, they brought some really good players in Henry Thomas, you know, as a defensive lineman signed as a free agent and he was a heck of a player. And we had, you know, some guys that came in and, and, and did a nice job, but, but then there, there were some times when I think, you know, it it was more about uh, keeping really good talent there like Lomas and Kevin Glover and, and uh, and some guys defensively, you know, and, and some of them weren't there. You know, I didn't play with Jerry Ball or Ray Crockett or, uh, you know, any of those guys. And uh, But the, I think the frustrating thing with maybe Lions players and fans is those players went on and were successful in uh, other other organizations. And uh, so they were good players. They were they were pieces of the solution. And clearly they would have been had they stayed in Detroit. I, and I'm just speculating here. I don't have those answers, but as far as like the decisions the front office made, free you got to remember free agency was in its infancy. Yeah. So everyone was trying to figure this out as they went along, and maybe some teams did a better job of figuring it out. Maybe some teams didn't. Uh, I know there were some talented people. You know, I think very highly of Chuck Smith. Uh, I had a great 
interaction with him. Uh, he was awesome to me. You know, he was part of what brought me to Detroit. Yeah. But those personnel people, Kevin Colbert and um, Ron Hughes, uh, th- those guys, you know, Kevin was with the Dolphins when they drafted me and was part of why I ended up in Detroit. And, and Kevin, you know, he's now, the I believe, the general manager still for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But those guys went to Pittsburgh and got the Steelers back to, you know, winning Super Bowls. And, and, and they're still there. You know, Ron passed away a few years ago. But uh, there were a lot of quality people uh, in that front office. And, you know, you maybe could ask Kevin Colbert. I made mistakes when I was in Detroit and I learned from them and I got to go on to a different situation and, and maybe had more success. And, but uh, there were a lot of quality, quality people in the, in the organization where, where I think uh, things went kind of wrong is I think there was, there was maybe too much patience with certain situations and not enough in others. (laughs) It's almost like every bad move they could make, they, they did it, you know, and and it, it's probably maddening because you go, uh, do we stay with this guy? Do we get rid of him? Do we, you know, and, and it, it's got to be a hard thing. And let, let me, if I can, for just a second, explain what I mean. Yeah, yeah. We had this system. We had these players really good, okay? Uh, Barry Sanders was a guy that's going to run the best when you're spread out. So we had three wide receivers. Uh, and basically, every time they put more guys in the, in the box than you can block, we would throw the ball. And when they, when they spread out to pass, we would run it. It's that simple, okay? But it was the personnel we had. So it was, it was agile. You know, I, I don't want to use the word run and shoot because we didn't have – we got rid of the run and shoot offense, quite frankly. Um, and, and what we did, I believe, was far better. And so um, they go, you know, we've had enough of Wayne Fonts. Uh, we need someone in here that's going to control these players and – and not a not a not a player. We just we just need more discipline. Yeah. So they go, well, ex-military guy, you know, you're going to get Bobby Ross about as disciplined as you possibly could do. But what they did is they gave Bobby Ross total control over personnel decisions. And and the committee philosophy they had had before. So the 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 Ron Hughes's and the Kevin Colberts uh, had in, in input into you know, what, what players they should keep and bring in and, you know, the whole thing. And Bobby Ross, his style did not fit the personnel we had. Right, right. He wanted big, beefy offensive linemen. He wanted a fullback. He wanted a power running back. He wanted to be uh, the Washington Redskins with Joe Gibbs, counter tray, 50-gut, John Riggins, that's the kind of football he wanted to play. And the personnel he had did not match that. So they go out and get that personnel. And then Bobby Ross says, you know, I've had enough of this. I'm out. <laughs> and, and so and then they bring in the West Coast system. They bring in Matt Millen, the guy they think needs to be more of a, a football guy than a, a bean counter. And Matt Millen drafts three wide receivers in the first round every year. And, and it's like there's not enough footballs to throw – to three first round draft choice wide receivers. And, and so it's just, it's just, it's just a, um, I don't want to say a comedy of errors, but it, it's just a lot of decisions uh, built up over time that really um, just exacerbated the situation and made it just where the lions have been 
feudal for so many years and to see kind of they've righted the ship and they've 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 got the right person in and you know i i i would just see uh jim caldwell and and matt patricia and and jim swartz and some of these guys they brought in as coaches and even even mariucci you know steve i was excited for the lions to get a coach like that and um it just it just was never the personnel never matched the style of the coach and by the time they got the personnel in there, they were tired of the coach and they kind of had moved on. Uh, and it just it just seemed this uh, lack of patience. You look at the Pittsburgh Steelers and Terry Bradshaw was awful. When he first went to the Pittsburgh Steelers, he was awful. Yeah, it was terrible. Nice. In today's NFL, Terry Bradshaw would have been cut. Terry Bradshaw would have been Zach Wilson for the New York Jets. Yep. Like he, you know, he would have been, he would have been gone. And the, and the Steelers weren't that way. Chuck Knoll wasn't that way. The Rooney family weren't. They were like, we have, we have a philosophy we believe in. We believe it's about really uh, teaching and developing these players. And there wasn't this, you know, disposable attitude about it's crazy talent. Yeah. yeah. And so. So sorry. So, uh, so many careers, I think, have been have been wrecked by to what you said earlier and what you're what you're alluding to now. So many careers, I think, have been just wrecked or not given the shot because they come in, they start them too young, they don't have the experience, they of course don't find success. Maybe the system doesn't match. I'm I, I feel like we're watching this unfold with with Justin Fields right now. Not that I want to see success for the Bears, but I just feel like this poor guy is going to wind up just tossed aside because he's in a bad system with bad leadership. Yeah, and, and what happens, you know, you go, well, just get him in the right situation. And and what happens is, well, the right situation is still going to take some time to develop. And these teams go, we don't, we're going to give you a really short window, uh, but, um, you know, don't expect miracles to, to happen. And so a lot of those early round quarterbacks or, you know, especially quarterbacks, um, you know, it's hard. It's hard to really uh, stick in the NFL if you don't make it with the first team that you're with. I'll tell you, a guy who did it was um, uh, Alex Smith. Mm-hmm. So Alex Smith, first pick in the draft, he's actually out of Utah. Goes to the 49ers and 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 does what I thought was a smart thing. And he he took a, a he took a pay cut to stay with the organization because he didn't want to be viewed as a bust because they were. They were on to Colin Kaepernick, and they were just like, "You're out." And 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 he was actually able to kind of weather the storm in San Francisco, the perception that he was this bust. And then he ended up with a coach, Andy Reid, <laughs> a quarterback friendly coach, and really turned his career around. Uh, and and uh, and and ended up having a really really nice career in the NFL, but. He he's more of the you know outlier than than the norm because so many you got you're right and you do wonder you know how many of these guys actually could have had longer careers more successful careers had they been in the right structure that really could have nurtured and developed the talent that they were. I wonder how much you know. Do people talk about the risk of taking a quarterback in the first round. How much of that risk is is the taking a quarterback? And the, the talent of the quarterback making the jump from college to pros versus the system and the situation they land in. It's, I think there's, I think there's a white paper to be written on that. <laughs> Let me, yeah. I, I want to go back a little bit though uh, and talk about Bye Bye Barry because um, 
it came out i watched it i felt i felt it was pretty well produced um but with these things there's always a a little bit of a uh kind of a finger on the scale one way or another there's always an opinion with the documentary that that kind of comes through it's hard to get it completely uh balanced and just presenting the information um you had a response on social media to the uh to the to the uh the documentary that Many would say, well, that wasn't very, <laughs> very uh, um, positive. Uh, and I'll just take the one quote. Um, my only response is, fuck you all. Now, out of context, that's crazy, right? <laughs> but but I want to, I, you know, it's hard often to get our thoughts across or typing. And I see it all the time where people are talking past each other or whatever. And I want to give you an opportunity to say, to just kind of outline your thoughts, what you meant, what you were saying, and what you saw in, in, the, uh, in the Bye Bye Barry documentary. You know, um, there there were a couple of things that were a, a, a little disconcerting to me, and and they these aren't thoughts that I just generated from watching this. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually seen other other films, uh, you know, from NFL films. Uh, you know, I saw uh, one with Barry and and Thurman Thomas, and I saw you know, and and it, and it really was more. It felt. And and it wasn't so much Barry in the in the in the you know his documentary and uh, and you need to understand before I say anything else. People always ask me what was the greatest thing about you know playing in the NFL and and really one of the top things was the the players that I you know the great players that I was fortunate enough to play with and he was right there with them. I mean, I had a front row seat to some of the most amazing runs in NFL history. There, there, there has never been a player like Barry Sanders. Never, I don't think there ever will be, just because of even how the rules are today. Uh, running backs have become obsolete, but he was incredible and feared by everyone. Uh, I, 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 so many guys, defensive guys from other teams, just said, "You have no idea how hard it is to tackle him. Like he, it's just, it's scary. It takes eleven, and if we could have twelve or thirteen guys, you know, probably wouldn't be enough sometimes." So, so this isn't like, oh, I'm, Matt, I'm, you know, Barry Sanders, and I'm not trying to throw shade on on his documentary or or, or his career. It was unbelievable. Yeah. The frustration for me is, I felt, and there were certain things said, and it was really more Wayne Fonts when he said, "Man, we just needed the quarterback," and 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 there was a lot of this. You know, could you imagine having Joe Montana as your quarterback? And, and, and Joe Montana, you know, and, and I don't want to get in this long because people are like, wait a minute, Joe Montana was an amazing player. How are you saying you'd rather have you than Joe Montana? And I, and I would say I would, I personally would rather have me. I'd rather have me at that point in my career than where Joe Montana was. I'm, and, well, I'm not, I'm not going to get into all that. But, but it was really, it really felt implied to me that I was the problem. That, that it was because of me that Barry Sanders didn't win a Super Bowl. Uh, it would, you know, if you, if you just had the quarterback, you know, we just couldn't find the quarterback. And I believed I was the quarterback. And I, and I, we had um, in 1995, um, it, there aren't many seasons better than 1995 to that point at quarterback uh, or as a team. And so I really felt like, we were on to something and we, we had really figured out how, how to 
um, take all the pieces and make them work to the to their their be- the best they were. Barry was a unique talent. He wasn't like an Emmett Smith. He wasn't like a Corey Dillon that I play. He wasn't like um, a Marshall Falk. He was he was a unique runner. Uh, he was a unique body type. I mean, Barry wasn't a big guy, and so you had you know it. You know, you're not going to get four yards up the middle ever. Uh, you're not going to get a guy that's like an amazing pass blocker when you have to have him pass block. And that's part of your offense. Uh, you know, if it's all just about Barry Sanders running, you know, it, but it's more than that. It's more. And so uh, where I told people to F off was um, it's real easy. You know, it's, it's easy for me to sit here and go, you know, Jeff Daniels, you overacted so much in Dumb and Dumber. Uh, Eminem, you know, you, you know, I don't know about those, you know, mom's spaghetti. Does it really work? You know, it's not for me to say I'm not in that. I'm not in that environment. I, and by the way, I'm a big fan of both of these people. Yeah. <laughs> I really am. I, uh, I, I, I was going to ask you kind of where that came from. Right. Cause I was like, God, I didn't even hear, like, I can see like coach Fonson. He, he said he didn't have the quarterback and I can, I could put myself in his head and, and be saying that and not be insulting you. And I can put myself in your head and say, that's absolutely insulting to me. And I, I so I can see that. And then I was like, but wait, Eminem and Jeff Daniels, I didn't see anything from them that, that really lit, lit, lit Scott up or, or could not light him up. So that's why it's, it's interesting to hear what, what your head, where your head space was on that. So, so it, for me, it felt like um, they were, they were like, oh man, we've suffered as Lions fans and we've, and and so the way I took it was they suffered because they didn't have a quarterback. They suffered because yeah, that's right. you know they didn't come out and actually say that right. Yeah, yeah. And I was in a headspace where you know I, I'm just like you know what I'm going to defend myself. I'm not going to sit here and and I I've been quiet about. I mean I haven't. By the way, I haven't been quiet about this. I just haven't said it. You know to to certain people. I I um, you know I'm a I host a radio show, a sports talk radio show. Uh, people have asked me before about, you know, playing in Detroit and my, de- and nothing I'm saying here today is like new. I've said this from the day that I, you know, was with Detroit. I, I tried to be an agent of change when I was in the organization. I was like, uh, I spoke to my coaches. I shared my feelings. I vented my frustrations uh, from day one. Uh, you know, I was like, <laughs> you have to understand I came from Don Shula, okay? I came from an offense, a system where, and, and a way of doing things that was like uh, really good. <laughs> and, and to see where it wasn't done right, I spoke up in the time and in, in the moment and, and, and I wanted it to change and I could see where it was, was lacking and falling down. I could have just shut my mouth and gone out and played and whatever, but I, did, I, didn't, I wanted to win. So, uh, a lot of people have kind of joked with me about, you know, you told Eminem to F off, you know, and that's kind of ballsy and bold and, and, um, maybe it just tells you how, how passionate I am about wanting to make it right in Detroit and wanting to win there. Cause like I told you, it wasn't pleasant. Like it wasn't pleasant to get booed. It wasn't pleasant to to not be able to go out in public and do all those things, and it and it didn't it didn't break me. It didn't make me want to say, "Man, get me out of here." It made me more determined to figure out how to do it, and that 
ultimately is the frustration is I just never got the time to do it. But I'm not, I'm, I'll defend myself till the day I die. And I believe I was the right guy um, in that situation and uh, to, to win. And by the way, on that Thanksgiving game uh, against Warren Moon, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I'm not going to. I also beat Joe Montana, too. I'm just. Yeah. just so, <laughs> I think it was 410 was, yards in that game on Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, I wasn't. I believed in myself. You know, I believed in my abilities. I, I had to. And I did. And, and I, I, you know, I didn't care who the other quarterback was. I thought I was as good as any player, any quarterback ever. I had to think that way. Yep. I never would have made it at all in the NFL if I didn't think that. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, fans have to expect that out of their players because I don't think anybody would make it in the NFL if they're not, if number one, the competitiveness and number two, the confidence. Those are, those are just table stakes to be able to play and be effective in the NFL. I'm sorry to Eminem that I, and, and Jeff Daniels, I do. I, I really, I, I enjoy, I enjoy them as entertain. I really do. Like hard knocks when I saw Eminem go to the lions practice, I was like, man, I wish, and I don't know how old he is, you know, maybe he's too young for my era probably is, but I, I would have loved to have hung out, you know, and, and had him come to practice, you know, so that I thought that was cool. Like, I think it's cool that people like that are fans of the lions and, um, I, I just, I just was hot in the moment and felt like I, you know, was being piled on and I was, I was, you know. Yeah, no, I understand. That's what, like I said, that's what I want to talk. Cause when we type sometimes it's, it's a snapshot in time and it's not as eloquent as we maybe would have been if we would have been able to have a conversation with someone. So I thought, is there, is there nothing more eloquent than the way I said that? <laughs> it was, it was pointed. <laughs> oh, man. The thing is I've had, I've had more interviews in the last week. And I've had more people, that's the thing they bring up, is that you told Eminem to F off, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, that's not really the, the message, I guess, I was trying to say, but oh, well. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, for me, like I said, it was like, wait, how did they get rolled up? But it, make, it makes sense. It makes sense. Let me fast forward today to today's Lions really quick. I appreciate you sharing that and, and open it up a little bit. Um You've seen the Lions, you played for the Lions, and they they were a very very much a team of just abouts, almost need a little more time kind of thing, and it was it was kind of pulled out. The team today seems to be, although barring yesterday's game, <laughs> seems to be really well on the on, on the right direction. Uh what are your thoughts on on the team as a whole right now? Uh tell me about what you think about Dan Campbell and, and what playing for him might have been like. So I, there is a huge part of my heart that just feels so bad for the Detroit Lions, feels so bad for the city, for um, the Ford family, for all of the players, past and present, all of them. They're one of the few teams that has never even been to a Super Bowl. And, and, and they just, for whatever reason, cannot seem or could not seem to get out of their own way. And, and I was a part of it, you know, being in that organization. So I, I feel the pain, (laughs) you know, I, I, I really do. I get it. And I, and there's just a a big part of me. uh, And, and it just seems like every year there's new hope. There's a new uh, horizon and, and, um, but everyone kind of looks at it with one eye, you know, are you, you know, is, 
And for whatever reason, Dan Campbell, there, there was just something different about him. Watching that hard knocks, I think, made, if you're, you know, you watch it, made everyone fall in love with the Detroit Lions. Yeah. Um, he seemed so genuine, so authentic. Um, he, 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 it didn't, it wasn't, you know, there's coaches that you hear talk and you know are full of crap. And, but he was a guy and he, he's just done a masterful job of, uh, kind of getting rid of so many of the ghosts and so much of the, the disbelief and the, you know, when is the next shoe going to fall kind of thing. And, uh, and, and it just, I, I just, I was just fell in love with Dan Campbell listening to him and watching him on hard knocks, you know, and, and I know you're, maybe it's a little bit for the cam. I, I don't believe it's that way. Maybe, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, he, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, had to show, uh, kind of you're on stage and, you know, who, who knows how different we are with the camera on, on and off, but just feels like that's who he is and how he is. And, and he's got a group of players that are, that are buying into it and they're just getting more and more talent. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're putting pieces together along with a belief system and, and really they're in a division that's very winnable. Uh, it, it, you know, yesterday was hard to watch. Uh, you know, I, you know, I think everyone expected more and, you know, they're in a position now where everything for them is, is been about getting respect, about figuring out how to win. Well, now they're winning. You know, you, you look at the standings, you go, shoot, the Lions eight and two, and they're right up there with Philadelphia and, and Seattle and or San Francisco. And you, and you just go, oh, well, you know, and sometimes it's harder to win when you're winning. Yeah. You know, you're so used to being the underdog. You're so used to fighting for respect. And then all of a sudden you get it. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, now we, we still have uh, seven games left in the season. <laughs> and that's an eternity. I remember in, in uh, Miami, we were nine and two my, my last year there. And we didn't, we had the best record in the NFL, nine and two. And we went nine and seven. We didn't win a game the rest of the season. Now we had a lot of guys injured, including myself, but um, it can change in a hurry. And, and learning how to to uh, win when you're winning is is a tough challenge, and that that's kind of the tone because it really felt like yesterday that that I believe the Lions felt like they were just going to show up and roll up and just kind of take care of, of of Green Bay, you know, who had a losing record. It's home. It's Thanksgiving, and all of a sudden things just a little screwy in the beginning, and it felt like the whole game Dan Campbell and the Lions were pressing. And when you get out of your game plan and you start to press and push things, you know, you, you don't necessarily make the right judgment or, or when you're playing tensely like that, you actually will, will not play as effective. And, and you got to just, you know, and, and, and there's a mental side to this to learn how to play when you're winning uh, is, is, is a big key, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of what's going on there. A huge fan of Dan Campbell and, uh, and and I'm I'm a big fan of of Jared Goff. Yeah. You know, here was a guy that went to a Super Bowl and kind of was cast off to to some degree. And 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 Sean McVay said, "I don't want you. You know, you took me to a Super Bowl. I don't want you anymore. I want I want the other guy. I want Stafford." And so for you know, so I've I'm just pulling for Jared Goff. Yeah. And and I think he's done just a, a an exceptional job uh, being there in Detroit and. Because I know how hard it is to be the quarterback there, and 
And uh, so I, I like a lot of what's going on and um, they'll figure it out the rest of the season. Again, this is one of those data points. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you kind of need a, a loss, you know, late November, early December to kind of keep you, get you refocused and really make that push for the playoffs. So this, this loss for the Lions may be an actually good thing for them moving forward. Yeah. You know, there's something about Jared Goff. And I, I was I was thinking about this when I was watching and and my, my my mind went somewhere different when they talked about, hey, I tried to get Warren Moon. Hey, I tried to get Joe Montana and we got we got we got Scott Mitchell. And and I thought about very much the similarity of, hey, we got Jared Goff, um, a guy that had been cast aside. Right. But but he was young versus this older guy in Matthew Stafford, who's going to have a couple, two, maybe three more years in the in the league before he, he's done. And if you're the Lions. At the point where we were in 95, do you want to bring in a quarterback that's great, but going to play for a year or two and that's it? Or are you trying to build this out to be something bigger for the long haul? And I think that's the, the strategy with Jared Goff. I also think that's the strategy as to why leadership brought you in, because they thought they could 100%. put the foundation together to build something more long term. Yeah. yeah, 100%. In fact, you know, the New York Jets are another great example We've got a pretty good team right now. We just need that quarterback. Let's go get Aaron Rodgers. And I actually said, I don't know how long Aaron Rodgers is going to play. I don't know if that's the best move for the New York Jets. And my comments ended up on Fox News and across. I got a bunch of hate mail for not being a, a lover of Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets. And I just, for, for this very conversation, and, and he lasted four plays. I mean, you get, you get older um, Joe Montana was, you know, he, he was good in, in, uh, Kansas city for a couple of years. And, and of course you'd want Joe Montana when he was Joe Montana, but, um, you, you really are, the odds are more likely that you're going to have longer, more consistent success if you bring a young guy in and, and the young guy plays well and everything works out. An interesting thing about Joe Montana when he started in San Francisco, there was a debate about whether he should be the guy. Yeah. And they had Steve DeBerg there. And, and they actually decided that the only way for Joe Montana to really flourish is if he goes, uh, if we get rid of DeBerg. And so they, they ended up trading DeBerg. Uh, and, and the first playoff game in 1982, the 49ers played the Detroit Lions. Yep, I remember that. And Gary Danielson threw five interceptions, or the Lions would have would have beat the 49ers because Joe Montana wasn't much better than Gary Danielson. I think he only threw four interceptions. <laughs> and they and they eked out a win against the Lions in nineteen eighty two and then went on to catch and go to and and that was a huge moment for 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 them in that situation. So, you know, fortunes of quarterbacks and teams, it's it's hard. Because so many pieces have to fit and fall into place for you to succeed. Matthew Stafford was a great quarterback in Detroit, but they were terrible as a team. I mean, did yeah. they? I mean, some of the worst, longest, most brutal times in Detroit, and then all of a sudden goes to you know the the Rams and wins the Super Bowl, and 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 so it's just it's just finding the right situation at the right time because. You know, the Rams been back to the Super Bowls, you know, since. And, you know, I mean, it's just a lot goes into winning and losing. And it's I, not just one player. And I think Matthew Stafford and Calvin, that pair, 
hid a lot of the flaws of the Lions offense in that yeah. time and prevented them from getting some of the personnel that could have really helped push them over the top. And that's that's too bad. Let me ask you, you've been really gracious with your time and I appreciate you you, you doing this. I want to ask you one this last is fun question. To talk about, by the way. I, I love I this. Lo- I do too. I'm I, if you're up for it, we'll talk again. I'd love I'd love to go to to do more sure. of this in the future. It's awesome. Um let me ask you really quick. If you had an opportunity to tell Lions fans anything you sit here today, whether it's about today's team, whether it's your time in Detroit, what would you tell Lions fans? You know, um, <laughs> so, you know, David Beckham, right? Yeah, yeah. The the, the soccer, the yeah, soccer sure. player. Uh, he was just crucified um, one, one year when... Um, uh, I, I can't, I, I don't know what it was either the world cup or the Euro, you know, finals or something. And, and, and all of England hated it. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and they were just un they were unmerciful to him and it, it impacted him. Like it really, really impacted him. And for the life of me, I don't understand why these fans want to just boo their, their team their players at home. I, I understand. I understand you're frustrated, but um, I think it would go so much further for fans to get on board, no matter what the circumstances with their team. I know, I know people are just, I can hear them typing right now, you know, we're going to boo you, you know, I, I, but, but what has it gotten Lions fans since 1957 for booing their, their team? What has it got them? I mean, I mean, they've never been to a Super Bowl. Why not? Because I'm just telling you, it, it impacts you as a person to, to have your home team boo you all the time. It's a, it's a distraction. It's not helpful. Um, it makes the problem worse. And, and it's like, you know, when you talk about it being a team game and we all have to pull and be together in this thing, well, it, it should include the fans. You know, let's get behind. Look, you have to get behind the team that you have, and what it, and how it's comprised, and and just find a way. Um, I mean, if you if you're an opposing team and you go to, and I don't know how it is in in Detroit. I, I know the fans are passionate. They show up. Um, you know, it's 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 impressive to see the loyalty from the fans. But I I. I'm just imagine if you're a visiting team and you go to Detroit and they're not booing you. They're like it, it gives you confidence. It makes you relax. It's like, wow, this is a fun place to play. We're we're being celebrated here. And and uh, you know, and it just it just does it's counterintuitive to me. If you're really a fan, then really get behind your team. Because David Beckham and I, and I saw that you know a documentary on him and and it it had a mat and he was an amazing player that had done all these incredible things and I mean I'm telling you the all of England was all over him I mean they hated him and and the and it it almost destroyed him and I would just encourage these fans to have patience to get on the bus with the team no matter what and just really support your team. And I believe it would go a lot longer uh, and a lot further than, um, and to me, that's called patience. And I know it's like, they don't want to have patience. They've waited around. 
But imagine if it had an impact. Imagine if it actually helped your team win a Super Bowl. Would you be willing to do it? And I think they would. There you go. Scott, I appreciate it, man. That's very thoughtful, introspective. I, I appreciate uh, you talking to us and, and, and sharing today. Sure, Definitely no want to talk again in the future. Uh, Scott Mitchell, Detroit Lions quarterback from uh, 1994 through 1998. Did a lot of things, took us to the playoffs, had a lot of fun watching you. I mean, I have to, 4,000, what is 4,300, a little over 4,300 yards in a season. That was, it's unheard of back then. It's, it's crazy to me, the things that we achieved and the almosts from that era. It, yeah. it, oh, gosh. Oh, well. Well, it was sometime, a fun time. It really was. In another, in another universe, we're getting more time, man. In another universe <laughs> somewhere, we're getting more time. Have a good one. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate you joining us. Yep. No problem. Thank you. All right. There you go. Scott Mitchell, in his own words, about Barry Sanders, Herman Moore, Lomas Brown, the controversy that came from that. His thoughts on the Lions today and Dan Campbell. Uh, interesting interview. Uh, Scott was a little bit different than I expected him to be, and it was it was really good to see him break down what he saw from the Detroit Lions and what his experience was with the team. Make sure to like and subscribe to the channel. We appreciate that. It helps us uh, get found by other people. helps us bring this great content that we continue to bring to you as viewers and listeners. Remember, don't forget about us on Patreon. Support us. Patreon.com slash Detroit Lions podcast. If you go and you donate as little as $5 a month, you get access to the most intelligent Lions chat on the internet, our Slack chat. Also follow us on Twitter at DET Lions podcast, DET Lions podcast. You get all our wit, witticisms and wisdom as well as all the show notes and uh, what what's coming when and what's canceled when all those kinds of things. You get all the latest on Detroit Lions podcast at DET Lions pod on the Twitter X machine. Uh, you can also give us a call on Skype Detroit Lions podcast. All one word. Leave a message or you can use the Lions line 248-782-8384 248-782-8384. Give us a call. Uh, leave us a message. We'll get you on the air and be sure to go to DetroitLionsPodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast so we can pop up in your earphones automatically. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to see you the next time on the Detroit Lions podcast. Remember, no pants, no toasters, no hot tubs and no problems because we are your Detroit Lions and Reddit connection. Final seconds winding down and look at that. How big is that? Chris and Case out of time. Pack the bag, start the plane. This show is over. You've had enough of that shit.